0: Welcome to Locked On NFL, your daily podcast on the National Football League on the number one daily sports podcast network. Brian Peacock over here, the scout Matt Williamson over there. And it's weekly, Matt, but they're getting together. They're hashing some things out. Things are getting figured out. We know how much preseason there's going to be now. We know how testing is going to go now. We know what roster sizes will be in training camp. So we'll get into all that stuff. And uh, I believe it all starts up front. Is that correct, Matt? when it comes to yeah, NFL teams. in the trenches
1: so to yeah. speak yeah so yeah. let's
0: get into we'll offensive get lines uh, uh someone do we don't talk about enough on the show brandon thorne who is involved in uh, a new site called establish the run and uh he has great work if you don't follow him on twitter you should find brandon thorne and he put out an article about the best offensive lines in the nfl that i think we should touch on today
1: yeah i 100 agree we don't taco lines enough so that'll be fun but i, I probably should start with just all the things happening around the league and obviously we're getting close and I'm hoping to get my Steelers training camp, you know, radio schedule and all these things are starting to get finalized. We're seeing tons of rookies signing now every day um, that those are all formalities basically, but it just shows that the wheels are really in progress and And another shout-out, too, I really enjoyed yesterday's conversation on the Falcons, too. If anybody didn't hear that, go back and tune in. It was pretty good. Even if you're not a Falcons fan, you'll like it.
0: Oh, yeah, they're always great. If you're a fan of the NFL, check in with those. When we have the hosts from the network, it was Aaron Freeman from Locked on Falcons yesterday. You learn a lot about a team, and it really sets you up for the season. You want to know about the league, not just the team that you follow. When it comes to the league, I mean, there's rookies that have reported. Some teams have rookies that are in camp and have reported well they're not really in camp because they had to get tested first right so here's how the testing schedule goes for those out there who are unfamiliar this is what they the league figured out and one of the big things was testing daily which is going to happen for at least a couple weeks for most for every team so it starts with day one which for some teams it was tuesday their rookies quarterbacks and injured players showed up got tested then went straight back home And you hang out for two days, wait for those results, and you self-quarantine for day two and day three of your camp arrival. Day four, you go back to the facility, get tested a second time. If that second test is negative, and both tests were negative on day one and day four, now day five, you're in the building. And workouts that are going to be slow to ramp up can start to begin for you, and you get tested every day for two weeks. So that's how it's going to go. That's how it's going to go for some uh, rookies, quarterbacks, and injured players who are at home right now during that, um, that third day of waiting and self-quarantining, then they'll go back and get tested again. And then so July 28th for a lot of teams is when the veterans are going to report that same process will happen for them. Day one, get tested, go home for a couple of days. So around August 1st, if everybody's negative, cross your fingers, knock on wood. Around August 1st, we're going to have workouts and practices and veterans and rookies and quarterbacks and everybody will be at facilities ready to go.
1: And everyone won't be negative, obviously. And we're already hearing some reports that there's been, you know, cases, of course. I mean, it's just like any slice of life. But I don't know if you have a strong take on all that you just said. I thought it was really good information. I don't. It's basically over my head in terms of what testing needs to be done in order for everyone to be safe. But I'm just kind of looking at it from a player's perspective and a front office coach's perspective that doesn't seem too abrasive. That doesn't seem like too much to ask, you know, to To go through that process over what a three-day span in order to clear you and then get tested every day. I mean, I don't think tests are all that difficult to pull off now. So that sounds quite feasible to me.
0: Right. And Major League Baseball had some problems early on when people reported to Spring, uh, spring Training 2.0 and they weren't getting the results back quick enough. So hopefully the NFL is, is over that hump. And I don't remember the name of it, but I did see the name of the... Uh, the organization that's in charge of doing the testing and so hopefully oh. they'll get those tests back quickly and everything will be smooth there and then things will be going they well. better
1: do a good job yeah they <laughs> a lot of pressure on those folks <laughs> yeah
0: a lot of pressure on those guys get <laughs> right. and get them um, get them turned around very quickly so roster sizes once everyone is at camp is going to be 80 this year instead of 90 and those last 10 players i mean what were the odds that they were going to make it very long odds. Even the players that are gems that you find that do make it are generally not the last 10 in camp. And there are some, I mean, you know, there's, you know, uh, players that drive a a beer truck and and somehow make a team that were probably part of the last 10 in some training camps. But usually the gems that, that stick are still in that 55 to 65 to 70 range, not quite the last 10, because there are some guys that are just, you know, a quarterback that's the fourth or fifth quarterback that's just a camp arm. They just need someone to not to help their other quarterbacks not throw out their arms and things like that, where there's right. really no second shot for them to make it. Right. right. Yeah. yeah. Second player, yeah. a left footed punter. Cause they're going to see a, a lefty punter in week one or something like that. Um, those types of things. So I don't think that's huge. And, you know, fewer players around the better for player safety.
1: Yeah. And I think that's really interesting though. I mean, you touched on a lot there and you're a hundred percent, right. I mean, those last 10 guys rarely make an impact and there are some. So I feel bad for that 1% or 2% or whatever that makes a team that basically comes in as those last 10. But also, I mean, being around the team, and it becomes obvious that, remember when there used to be different cut-down dates? Like, that first cut-down date isn't hard for the coaches to make. I mean, they look at, these guys are all gone, boom, we know it. And in a way, their life becomes a lot easier because they get those people out of the building a linebacker coach doesn't have to waste you know, half an hour a day talking to this poor young man that's not going to make the team. He's busy with his other folks. So that doesn't really bother me. I mean, in a way, you kind of get out the riffraff. You, um, like you said, you, you, th- you keep things closer for the position coaches. It's a more manageable number for all these testings and all the different things we're dealing with right now. But what's interesting to me is we now have 55-man rosters, not 53, We have expanded practice squads that might even expand further. So 80, are we going to have, I mean, are three quarters of those guys going to be football players this year? I mean, more than, right? I mean, 55 of the 80 are going to make it plus expanded practice squads, which could expand further. Almost everybody's going to be on the team. You know, when you bring in your 80, you should get pretty used to a lot of those names that are in camp because, It's not much of a percentage, way lower than any other year, of going to be cut dudes.
0: The the tough decision, guys, will be easier because you have a place to stash them on the practice squad and teams aren't going to have four preseason games of film to watch, say, an undrafted rookie to make a decision on whether they wanted to claim a guy off of waivers or anything like that. So I think there's going to be a lot less jobs for players with teams that, they didn't originally start with. So you have to make your own squad and you have to make that own team's uh, practice squad, unless there might be some teams out there that really have a numbers crunch at a position and really liked a player in the draft, didn't get him as an undrafted free agent, might try to steal away a player on waivers. Uh, They've been talking about actually trying to do away with waivers this off season too. So they, you can't steal other people's players. So that's interesting, but actually more players will have a shot to make teams, but teams will also not have an opportunity to scout guys from other rosters that got cut and try to bring them in.
1: No, that is a big deal. And I've said this before because I I went through it, is even the college scouts during the preseason are visiting other preseason games. You know, that's the one time that college scouts actually do some pro scouting. They'll go to the Panthers-Bears preseason game and look at guys. I mean, they're not looking at Christian McCaffrey hoping he gets cut. They're, they're looking at guys that could be, you know, you get a list of 10 players per team or so that are going to be roster bubble guys. You look at them and think, you know, and write a report on them, what special teams they play. Um, and then you, you decide if they are on the open market, are they better than our last guard or tight end or whatever? And so there'll be less of that, I think. I think a lot of teams back to the same point of keeping a high percentage of these camp rosters are going to keep their own. They're not going to be exploring outside the building as much as you, as most years. And you're going to get a really good feel for a lot of young men, hopefully for the case course of the whole season, even if they're just a practice squatter, you know, for what is that? Starting the beginning of August, all the way through that team getting eliminated is a lot of time, a lot of football, Even if the guy never dresses on game day, you may feel real confident that a year from now he can be in the mix for your starting left guard position. You know, so I love it. And people know that I'm all in favor and I know it's somewhat of a pipe dream of having a minor league system. But in a way, this kind of replaces that in my mind that we're going to keep all these young guys that we brought in starting in the next couple of days and really get to know them over the course of the season, even if they're running practice squad. And it reminds me of my college days. You know, you bring in a freshman, you know, he's not going to play, but boy, he looks good on practice squad. He gets to get a rep here and there. And then next year, you're like, well, well, maybe he's going to be in the mix.
0: I like where you're going with that, Matt. One more note on that coming up. Some good news from another professional sports league. Optimism about testing and some results we've seen. And we will get into the best and worst offensive lines in the NFL. I wonder if... And Matt, you would have a better idea if this is even possible. I wonder if this could be the beginnings of a true minor league system because teams have to think of it more as a taxi squad and maybe want to separate guys from the regular roster with the practice squad a little bit more in some ways. So potentially you have this situation where they think, okay, well, man, well, now this taxi squad on our team needs to go play this other team's taxi squad to get their game work in. And maybe you start to have the makings of a network of teams that are able to get together and put together some sort of scrimmages, at least even if it's not, you know, a televised sport Um, or, and then maybe that could grow from there and get bigger into something where you have them working in another city in a smaller town or, you know, even in the same town, but playing games on a different day. I don't know, whatever playing games in the spring instead, but just some sort of a way to get these players, some game reps. If they, after things expand this year, because I think there's just going to be a lot of things in this odd season that, you and, and I think in the scouting process, we've already seen it with how coaches and, and scouts and players and, and, you know, everybody's working from home and doing some things. I think they'll utilize the teleconference feature in, in future seasons and not be forced to do it as much, you know, and they'll think, oh, we yeah. like this part of it. We'll scrap this part of it. Um Maybe... Who knows? Maybe these taxi teams and practice squads can start to be the makings of a a true minor league system. Because I'm with you. I would love a a minor league system to happen. And it always is this big you know, XFL, this big process of, hey, here's this new league. It's always going to be so secondary and really tertiary to college football and NFL football. But if it's done in a grassroots way and comes from the, the bottom up, maybe they could pull off a minor league system.
1: I've said for years that if I was in charge of the world and had all the ultimate power... I'd be torn between world peace curing world hunger and building a minor league
0: (laughs) (laughs) priorities in the right place. I love it. Heck yeah.
1: Right. So that's that's been my dream forever and I haven't brought it up much, but I've been kind of thinking that too, that expanded practice squads and maybe going forward, we'll see more inner team scrimmages, things like that, or, I mean, I use the Steelers as an example. The Steelers and Eagles meet in state college and their practice squad guys run 7 on 7 against each other. You know what I mean? I mean there's all those type of things. Yeah. I've kind of thought that in the back of my head that maybe 10 years from now we'll look back at this offseason and say one of the g- good things that came out of the whole COVID situation was it was step one towards creating the you know a minor league system. You know, I always think of hockey and baseball, your pitcher gets hurt you call up a guy from triple A or the minors or whatever to come in and you get them there the next day. I mean, I don't think that's that crazy to to, con- to consider, you know, and you, you have a coaching staff at the lower levels that are teaching the system and refs get better down there. And the, you know, bust quarterbacks go back down to there and play. And then you also have your, your crash Davises that, li- you know, last forever, but you know, are good minor league players and people go see them and kids want to go see them play Um, but obviously all that's a long way away and I could go down that road. It's one of my favorite topics, but I was also thinking, I wonder maybe every team should or will, I've heard nobody bring this up, go hire one more coach or one more front office person as your practice squad coordinator. You know what I mean? Like you're in charge of these, you know, 15 dudes or whatever it's going to be. And report back to me every week. How's this quarterback coming along? You know, you're working on his footwork. He's got a, you know, a hitch in his step. We need to get out. This offensive lineman's not strong enough. How's he doing in the weight room? You know what I mean? Like, I almost want the, uh, a coach and a front office guy to be totally in charge of the practice squad.
0: I love it. That's the first step, too. Now you have an Just organizational structure. So you have players, an organizational structure above them. And coaching staff looking after them specifically. That's the beginnings of a minor league, Matt. I think you're onto something here.
1: I like it. Right. You have an offense coordinator, special teams coordinator, defense coordinator, practice team coordinator. You know?
0: Love it. So, no preseason games in 2020. 80-man camp rosters. They're still trying to figure out some things about high-risk players and opting out for the season and agreements on stipend if games are lost, according to Tom Pelissero. Tom Pelissero, by the way, doing some... Uh, heavy lifting in this, yeah, in this he's process in. He's he's got every uh, bit of information he's the one to follow if you're looking for NFLPA and NFL League updates right now so shout out to Tom Pellicero and shout out to Brandon Thorne let's get into some offensive line rankings here on oh by the way really quick so when it comes to testing testing is also in place that was a huge one the daily testing and uh, there was sources in the NBA that said Zero NBA players tested positive for coronavirus out of 346 that were tested at the Orlando Bubble campus since the, the previous results that were announced on July 13th. So that's a great sign. Cool. NBA figured it out. NFL is not going to be quite like a bubble situation. And there's a lot more players, even with cut down to 80. But good sign. NBA came up zero positive test results for coronavirus.
1: Wow! first I heard that. That's awesome. It's a little shocking. I mean, 0%. That's amazing. 100%. But my first thought was to 300 and some players is a drop in the bucket compared yeah,
0: to the NFL. over 2000 players in the NFL. <laughs> right, so, right, right. Yeah. And they're not as quarantined and, and not in a bubble in the NFL atmosphere. So uh, it's going to be more difficult, but good sign. Baby steps here. Offensive line rankings, Matt, from Brandon Thorne. This is at Establish the Run. Establish the Run. Yes, which is a, a brand yes, new website really that was started this year. Evan Silva's involved. Brandon Thorne's involved. A few other very smart people got together uh, to start this. This service and this website which is really cool and they've got their offensive line rankings not individual players but these are team offensive line rankings which is the way it should be ranked because if you've got a great left tackle but you've got a swinging gate at left guard that doesn't help your team all that much so uh who are the best combined offensive lines uh number one i'm not super surprised here uh i think they overtook a team though In the Cowboys that most people expected to be number one, Cowboys not number one anymore. Cowboys are two. The Saints are number one.
1: Yeah, and others, I know the Colts are high. A lot of people would think Indy's number one. I think it's really clear that the Saints are the best. And um, this is a subject we've talked about a lot over the years, but they stress the interior offensive line way more than any other team during the Drew Brees era. I mean, and they just went out and, and drafted Cesar Ruiz, shocked some people in the first round. Eric McCoy was an early pick last year. They just gave Andres Pete money. That's their interior line, and it's a really good one and a really young one. But, folks, the reason they do is because Drew Brees is short. I mean, I know people think Russell Wilson, Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, Drew Brees, short quarterbacks can succeed now that that, that, that stigma is over. It is. But they still don't see as well as a 6'5 guy, so they yeah. can't have as many bodies on top of them, so they always stress the interior line. That being said, their tackles are awesome. I, I, I don't know that I bring up Ryan Ramchek's name enough, but, and I know he's young, but he looks like a 12-year starter Hall of Famer to me. You know, like Pro Bowl, Pro Bowl, Pro Bowl, boring, great tackle every year, you know, just... And then you look back and be like, wow, that guy was one of the best players of his generation. I mean, that's the pace he's on, and Teron Armstead, on the other side, is even more talented.
0: You add another first-round pick, too, in center, Cesar Ruiz. Yeah. And uh, it's looking like Eric McCoy, who was a very high draft pick the year before, is moving over to right guard. So you've got first-round picks, uh, high second-round picks here. You've got a former tackle, move to guard in Andres Pete, uh, Two really good bookend tackles. So, I mean, just rock-solid across the board offensive line in New Orleans. And uh, I'm with it, man. I, I totally agree. New Orleans Saints is the best offensive line in the NFL. One of the best rosters top to bottom in the NFL, which is why I picked them last year. I'm probably going to pick the Saints again this year. They disappointed a little bit in the playoffs last year, but uh, I'm going with the Saints one more time. Maybe a farewell tour for Drew Brees. I really like what's going on in New Orleans.
1: Yeah, I mean, much like their O-line, as you said, I mean, it's hard to find faults with their roster.
0: The Cowboys, who have long been the best offensive line in the NFL, they lost their stud center To retirement, which is, I think, a big hit. Connor Williams coming off an injury at left guard. They still have Lyle Collins at right tackle. Tyron Smith, one of the best left tackles in the league. And, of course, Zach Martin, one of the best guards in the league. So still a very good offensive line. Joe Joe, uh, Looney now will probably work in there at center. They do have, uh, it was a Connor McGovern, who was a draft pick. I think a third rounder in 2019 who's got an opportunity. Maybe he'll be the starting center there. But, um, you know, so it's, you know, still very good. But they had a Pro Bowl caliber a perennial pro bowler at center who's no longer there
1: yeah and that's a big deal frederick was a great player although he looked like the shell of himself last year frankly and i'm a picking on the guy because he obviously had a, an ailment yeah you uh, mentioned mcgovern i think he's got a bright future they also drafted to, i call him tyler badass because i can't remember i can't repeat i don't say yeah Beatus, <laughs> i was getting all that well yeah.
0: maybe i think exactly. it's,
1: it's something like that but he was really good before injuries at wisconsin too so at least there's some young there's a pipeline there um, but that's a that's a problem for me. Connor Williams hasn't really worked out. Zach Martin, I right, to mention Hall of Fame. I mean, Zach Martin's on that, you know, Fanica Hutchinson type of career path, as is Tyron Smith, although I don't think he's quite the freak that he was. I mean, you used to look at him and be like, is that an offensive tackle or is that an underwear model that can dance and is a superstar athlete? <laughs> yeah. I mean, now he looks like he's dealt with some injuries. But Leo Collins is a really good up-and-coming right tackle, too. So don't feel too bad for the Cowboys. Their offense is stacked.
0: You know what else I love that Brandon did here in these rankings is he named the offensive line coaches. Offensive line coaches don't get any love around the league. So um, that is Joe Philbin, who is the Cowboys' offensive line coach. There is uh, Dan, is it Rousher? Who is the? I'm not the familiar Saints, with him, but he's yeah, doing a good job Saints in Buffalo, New Orleans. Whatever. He's, doing, he he's doing a great job. I think the GM gets <laughs> some credit there too uh, in New Orleans for uh, for drafting those offensive linemen there because a lot of high draft picks makes your job as a offensive line coach a lot easier. The Indianapolis Colts that you mentioned come Real in. Real quick,
1: and just because you mentioned the line coach, oh, sure. if I was a head coach, which I'm never going to be, and the second I was hired, my next call would be to sign to get the best offensive line coach I could. And I don't care if I pay him more than my coordinators. It's (laughs) the most valuable and important position coach in the league by a thousand. And look no further than the Patriots with Skarniecki over the years to prove that.
0: I want to go over the next two teams at three and four, I think, is the clear top tier of offensive lines in the league. And I think there's a little bit more argument behind that. And we'll look at some of the worst offensive lines in the league as well, according to trench expert Brandon Thorne of EstablishTheRun.com. So according to established Brandon Thorne, the top offensive line units in the NFL. One is the Saints, two is the Cowboys. Number three, you mentioned him earlier, the Indianapolis Colts. They are coached by Chris Strausser, offensive line coach. Anthony Costanzo, left tackle, perennial all-pro guard. When you get drafted in the top ten as a guard and you're as good as Quentin Nelson is, and you know, a very it's very rare that you get an offensive lineman who's who 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 you can make an, a highlight tape of after a season, but Quentin Nelson is that guy, so he's going to be Known as the best interior offensive lineman in the league for a long time, as long as he stays well, just because he's got the draft capital to go behind it in the name recognition. So Quentin Nelson, and he's earned it. He's definitely one of the best. He's, he's a beast. Ryan Kelly at center. Mark Glewinski is the right guard, and Braden Smith, right tackle. So I, th- I think there's probably a mini tier there after, for me, between the first two lines and the next two, but I think three and four, number four is the Raiders, we'll get into in a second if you want to talk more about the Colts' offensive line, but I think the top four is really the true. Those are the elite offensive lines right now in the NFL.
1: Yeah, I tend to agree. Kelly's also a first-round pick. Braden Smith was a high pick that you know most thought would be a guard and got shoved in the right tackle position did really well golinski has been a very solid player he's been a really nice under the rated raider pickup for them and everyone knows about the left side of the line i mean nelson's a special player and living up to the hype which is rare i mean it's tony mandrich like hype and he's living up to it and costanzo is a top eight to ten left tackle every year consistent that's worth a lot of money and it has a lot of value
0: I might actually put the the fourth-rated team here. If I had a minor quibble with Brandon's list, it would be putting the Raiders at third and the Colts at fourth. Uh, Raiders, I agree with it. Raiders coached by Tom Cable. They have the most salary cap allotted to their offensive line in Las Vegas. Colton Miller at left tackle. He looked like uh, yeah had a rough rookie year, but had really came into his own last year. Richie Incognito at left guard. Rodney Hudson at center. Gabe Jackson at right guard. And Trent Brown at right tackle. Just a, a really solid group and a lot of veteran cash being paid to a lot of those guys and colton miller still on his rookie deal he'll probably get paid very soon as well
1: yeah a lot of size a lot of nastiness yes incognito goes with that obviously old school hudson's not a bigger guy but he might be the best center in the league trent brown can run a little hot and cold but when he's hot he's red hot and miller again is keeps getting better jackson's a solid guard too a really good pair i mean that's a great line um, Josh Jacobs might run for a lot of yards behind those groups.
0: And just real quick, I want to uh, mention the next few groups. Dante Scarnecchia, by the way, no, no longer in New Orleans, so we'll see what the Patriots offensive line looks like. Uh, I, I saw somebody tweet a hot take that that was a bigger loss than losing Tom Brady in New England, so maybe not quite, <laughs> but uh, Carmen Brasillo and Cole Popovich are apparently the the pair that are going to replace Dante Scarnecchia as the offensive line coach in New England. They've got Isaiah Wynn Joe Tooney, on a franchise tag, might be his last year in New England. David Andrews at center, Shaq Mason at right guard, Marcus Cannon at right tackle. Uh, The 49ers are next, coached by John Benton. They just brought in Trent Williams, which is a huge get to replace Joe Staley. Lakin Tomlinson at left guard, Weston Richburg dealing with a lot of injuries at center when he's healthy. He's one of the best really athletic, good for that outside zone. Daniel Brunskill battling at right guard, filled in nicely for Joe Staley at left tackle when he was hurt last year. And Mike McGlinchey, a former first rounder at right tackle. A better run blocking offensive line than a pass blocking offensive line last year. Then you got the Steelers that you know a lot about at number seven. Just been very solid for a very long time. David DiCastro anchoring that line. Alejandro Villanueva, left tackle, Matt Feller at left guard, Marquise Pouncy at center, and right tackle is uh, a for- Just call him chooks. chooks. Okay, chooks. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and I have no problem with these. I mean, the Steelers obviously suffered with the quarterback situation. I don't have a lot of worries about them. Your Niners, I think, get better at the offensive line. You mentioned Brunskill. I think he's somebody people don't know that's a really impressive young player. And then lastly, the Patriots, getting David Andrews back. I mean, I've always wanted to – if I was huge, huge into betting, I would bet against every team that loses a starting center. (laughs) I mean, I I feel like that should influence a point spread – Dramatically, because they're so valuable in so many ways that I think when you get Andrews back could really pay off for New England.
0: And to finish up the top of the rankings before we look at some of the teams at the bottom of the league, I think this second tier is probably after four, so five through ten. And I'm actually surprised how low the Packers are because they were a really good pass-blocking unit, kind of the opposite of the 49ers, better pass-blocking. The run-blocking unit have one of the best left tackles in the league, David Bakhtiari, a very high draft pick in Elton Jenkins at left guard, Corey Lindsley at center, Billy Turner at right guard, and Ricky Wagner at right tackle. That's the Packers at ten. And ahead of them, behind uh, the Steelers that we mentioned, was number eight, the Ravens, and number nine, an up-and-coming line in the Browns who added Conklin and then uh, top ten draft pick in Jedrick Wills at left tackle. Already have Batonio at left guard, so a really solid line that has a chance to be a lot better with Bill Callahan coaching them this year in Cleveland.
1: Yeah, agreed. I mean, the tackles should be really good. Wills was my favorite tackle. Um, uh, last note there: that that right side of the Packers O lines up for debate at least you know i think that's probably what dropped them a little but losing marshall yonda i'm i I, there's a very good chance i'm gonna pick the ravens win the super bowl so this is an anti-raven Steeler love losing marshall yonda is one of the biggest losses in the entire league
0: that's huge i mean that's that's huge huge. you you, it's really hard to plug a hole of someone that is so dependable up front and i think teams probably um scrambling more than fans realize when you lose somebody that good so i wonder like you know what things are going to look like in on the interior for say the cowboys and the ravens who lose big time players like that and the 49ers get lucky where they can replace one all pro and joe staley with a player who's even better in trent williams Mm -hmm. no absolutely right let's look at the bottom of the list here the miami dolphins they spent some resources this offseason on that offensive line drafting austin jackson out of usc Will he plug in as a rookie at left tackle? That's how they have it penciled in here. Then you have Eric Flowers inside at guard, uh, Ted Karras at center, Robert Hunt at right guard, Jesse Davis at right tackle. Uh, Not a lot of optimism there, and uh, I can see why they are the 32nd ranked offensive line in the league.
1: Yeah, we don't know if any of those names you just mentioned are good starters. Yes. You know, at least Hunt and Jackson come in with pedigree. They're young. I think this team knows that they are a long way away. It's going to take some time. Jackson is ridiculously young coming into the league. Very wrong? And yeah, donated bone marrow to his sister. So, I mean, it took him a while. He's taking, getting, dissipating back into, you know, strength and conditioning that influenced him a lot. So it's going to take some time, but at least they realize how bad it was last year and put a ton of resources in this year to at least creep towards respectability hopefully
0: right and austin jackson great story there. rooting for the guy first round draft pick he has all the athleticism and length and athletic ability uh but you you know i don't even know if he'll actually be the starting left tackle early in the season because you know it's gonna be hard to jump in for anybody at left tackle in the nfl let alone someone that has a little bit more rawness to his game is austin jackson 31st Ranked offensive line, get a boost in an extra free first round pick this year. And and Jonah Williams, who missed all of his rookie season at left tackle. Uh, The Bengals have Michael Jordan at left guard. Not number 23. Trey Hopkins at center. Right guard, Xavier Suofilo and Bobby Hart at right tackle.
1: Yeah, and didn't do much this offseason. Obviously, Williams is a nice boost. But you know with the Steeler Bengal rivalry we have some people that cover the Bengals that we were you know had a beer with or two at the combine and they were saying this team really likes their offensive line and I'm not saying I know more than the Bengals I'm not exactly sure why, but they like it more than you know this list does I do uh, we'll see uh, they didn't do much to address it even though they had a lot of picks that they could have used on Lyman
0: And Brandon Thorne has his own tiers here. The tiers I was talking about earlier is how I would have ranked them. Mm -hmm. Uh, But his bottom three, these bottom three offensive lines are their bottom feeders. They're tier six in the NFL. And uh, the last team in that tier is Washington. So it's Washington 30, Bengals 31, Dolphins 32. Uh, Washington comes in with uh, no team name right now. Coached by John Matsko for the offensive line. Has his work cut out for him. Jeron Christian penciled in at left tackle who I swear I that might have been the first time I've I've ever heard that that person's name. I I, I, I follow the league closely and I did not expect to see that name as a starting left tackle in the NFL. And maybe I'm sleeping on 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 Jeron. So my apologies if that's the case. Wes Schweitzer at left guard. Uh, Chase Roulier is the uh, French pronunciation of that name uh, at center. (laughs) Brandon Scherf is the name that everybody knows at right guard and Morgan Moses at right tackle.
1: Yeah, they need help, and the, the only name to really add, the right side of the, of the line's good. I mean, Sharef and Moses are, are a really good pair. You can live with Rullier at center, and Schweitzer's okay at left guard. But they did use, I just want to throw out the the LSU kid, Shadik Charles. They used a the fourth-round pick on him, who is really a second-round, top-50-type player who had some issues. So maybe he's going to take uh, your boy jerron sister Christian out of the left tackle lineup.
0: I like Sadiq Charles in the draft a lot, and there's some off-field stuff there, but I think he's more of a left guard. I love the way he he just fires out. He's really low to the ground for as big as he is, 320 pounds, but he moves much lighter. Uh, I think he might end up a guard. He's a little shorter-armed and not quite of a long player for for left tackle, even though he played left tackle at LSU. They might try him out at left tackle. He might win that job, but I like him long-term as a guard. He can really get out and move and block people on the second level too.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of ability there, at least, to work with. So if, if they hit on the fourth rounder, it could look a little better. But it wouldn't shock me if one of their very early picks next year is an offensive lineman. And Haskins needs the support.
0: So those are the best and worst offensive lines in the NFL, according to Brandon Thorne of Establish the Run. You can go to EstablishTheRun.com, follow Brandon Thorne on Twitter for more of that stuff and find out exactly where your team ranks on that list. And with that, Matt, we're out of time today.
1: Yeah, tomorrow's Twitter Thursday. Get those in for us, and we're buzzing along. Before you know it, we're going to have football to talk about.
0: Absolutely. Look for that tweet, and you can respond to it. I think Matt will probably shoot that tweet out uh, before sure. you hear this podcast. I'll pipe it as we speak. Yeah, All right, here and we go. Uh, you can tag me, at BD Tag Matt, at Williamson NFL. Uh, you don't have to reply to the one tweet. And get your tweet answered on tomorrow's Twitter Thursday right here, locked on NFL.